Good morning, Northland Church. It is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And we will look at the very first chapter. If you know your Bible, you will probably know that that is the genealogy of Jesus. And you're like, really? You're going to preach the genealogy? Listen, I'll preach the phone book if it was in the Bible, you know? So, anyways, but I will be preaching the genealogy. You're like, can you get anything out? Well, you be the judge of that by the end. Well, the Christmas season is upon us. Everybody ready? Okay, all right. It is really hard for, at least me, I won't speak for all of the Laxtons in the household, but it's really hard to, to understand that we are in the holiday season when you're still wearing t-shirts and shorts. Like, like it just can't, can't fathom that. So I, I'm learning to adjust. I'm learning to have that shift in our lives that, yes, this is the holiday season and you can be, you can be outside tanning at the holiday, you know, in the holiday season. In, uh, in Florida. So, but nevertheless, Christmas is upon us, and many, if not most, see the Christmas season as the song says, the most wonderful time of the. Now, while it may be the most wonderful time, Christmas isn't known as a time people slow down, but actually speed up. Now, on account of three, I want you to tell me what you actually do in Christmas. Do you speed up or do you slow down? So on account of three, you're going to, you're going to tell everybody what you do. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, so there may be one of you that slow down. Congratulations. You're one out of, uh, eight, you know, seven, eight hundred. But most of us, we speed up during Christmas. I mean, we have shopping to do, although you can do your shopping now in the comfort of your PJs. I love it, right? <laughs> you have parties to attend. You have probably work projects to finish. You have family obligations to adhere to. And then many of us, we actually deal with the strong emotions that Christmas brings, maybe because we've lost a loved one in the past, or you're just dealing with family drama. So the Christmas season is anything but simple for the masses. Now, as we launch our new series today, Simple Christmas, here's what we are encouraging all of us, me included, to do. To, to slow down this season to make room for the most important gift. Now, who is the most important gift at Christmas? Okay. So anytime I ask you a question, 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer, let me go ahead and give it to you, will be Jesus, all right? So Jesus is the most important gift of this season, and what we want to make sure that we do is make room for him. Now, I, I want to illustrate. How many of you, you have packed a suitcase in the last year? You packed a suitcase in the last year, okay. So there are two ways to pack your suitcase. You can pack by just throwing things in your suitcase because you have waited to the last minute, guys. Right? Now, women, you probably don't do this, but guys do. Uh, you, you know that this trip has been, been planned and you know that it has been coming up for the last few days, but you wait until an hour before you have to leave to start throwing things in your suitcase, right? So you start throwing your underwear. You don't even count how many underwear you got. You just throw them in there. You throw t-shirts. You throw pants. You might throw, you might throw shoes. And you might even throw your toiletry items. But here's what I've known in the past when I have waited to the last minute to pack. I have forgotten something. There have been times where I have forgotten my belt. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but a belt is a big deal with me because that belt has to match your shoes, which has to match your watch band. Those are really important to me. And so I've gotten to my destination only to find that I have not packed my black belt. I have my brown belt, but I don't have my black belt. And then there have been moments where I've forgotten my hair gel. Now, I don't know about you, but my hair is a big deal. <laughs> so, that sounds weird. My hair is a big deal. Anyways, but I've forgotten my hair gel. And I know what you're thinking. Well, you can just go to CVS. You can go to Walmart, Target. I don't want to spend my time having to go to CVS or Target to buy things that I forgot when I really don't need another one of those. Amen? Yeah. Now, then you can pack like this. This is how my wife packs. She's very good about this. She sits down. 
she begins to think about where we're going. And so therefore we're looking at the, or she's looking at the weather. Listen, here's what I would know about Floridians now. If you're going to go to the Northeast right now, sucker, you better what? You better look at the weather because you're going to freeze to death. <laughs> and so what my wife will do, she will sit down, she'll look at the weather and then she'll look at how long we're going to be gone for. And then she will be looking at what we are doing. So those three questions, what's the weather? How long are we going to be gone? And what will we be doing? will then determine her list of what we need to pack to make sure that we don't miss anything. Well, it seems like many people treat the Christmas season the way someone might treat Packing. Uh, many of us, we just throw things into the suitcase. So, so here's what happens in the Christmas season. We just throw things on our plate. And then the next thing you know, Christmas is past. And we have really neglected the most important gift and the reason for Christmas. And so what, what I want us to do, and here's the main point that we're going to flesh out this morning. So if you're ready for the main point, say you're ready. Ready or not, here it comes. So here's what we want to do. We want to slow down this season so we don't mess up its reason. So we want to slow down this season so we don't mess up its what? Reason. Now we're going to look at Matthew 1. Matthew is going to give us at least five reasons we need to slow down this season so that we don't mess up its reason. Now before we stand and read, I want us to know that Matthew was predominantly writing to Jews. So as he's writing to Jews, his main theme is going to be that the rightful king of David has come. And so Jesus is the rightful king of David. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's God's chosen one to bring salvation to God's people. So he's writing predominantly to Jews and for them. So there's going to be a lot of Jewish undertones in what he writes. So with that said, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and we will read the genealogy of Jesus. And now as I read the genealogy of Jesus with my southern accent, you cannot make fun of the way I pronounce some of these words, okay? Are we all right with that? <laughs> so, you can't laugh at me. All right, here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father, I can't pronounce his name, and I'm not even going to try. I've tried it two different times, can't do it. And then this guy was the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King who? David. And then David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. All right, Bible trivia. Who was Uriah's wife that became David's wife? Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Anybody ever had a child named uh, Jehoshaphat? That's a pretty cool name. It's a fat name. I mean, it's like, it's awesome. All right, Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, after Babylon, so after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatel. That's my favorite name in all of the list right here. I love Sheatel. Sheatel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azar, Azar the father of Zaduk, Zaduk the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eli, Ehu, or Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and then Jacob, the father of Joseph. Whoo, we are almost done. The husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of, everybody say his name. 
Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray just in the genealogy, we would see how you should be the center of our life. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in spirit. You would go to work in the preaching of your word. That you would shape us and mold us more into the image of our beloved King, our Messiah. I pray for those who are far from you and that are here with us, that are engaging us online. I pray that, Spirit, you would awaken their eyes and their hearts to see the beauty and the grace and the glory of King Jesus and you would draw them to him this morning. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, so here's what we're going to do. For the remainder of our time, we're going to look at five reasons embedded right here in Matthew 1 of how we need to slow down the season so that we don't mess up its reason. Reason number one, we need to slow down. Uh, Jesus came to bring about new creation. Jesus came to bring about new creation. The very first sentence we have, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Now what Matthew is doing here is deliberately tying the story of Jesus to the book of origin or the book of Genesis. So listen to Genesis chapter 2 verse 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. This is the book of the generations or the genealogy of Adam. So what Matthew is doing is now giving you the genealogy of Jesus, but in doing so, he's connecting it all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. So the genealogy of Adam introduces us to the story of creation and the fall. Now the fall we saw last week happened in Genesis 3. So the generations of Adam introduces us to the creation narrative and then also of the fall. The genealogy of Jesus Jesus introduces us to the story of new creation and the story of redemption and restoration. You see, we live in a culture that loves stories, especially the stories that are depicted in movies and even novels. Now, think about some of our culture's favorite movies, like the Star Wars trilogies are, are some of the most favorite trilogies out there. Now, I, I, have, I, I have the opinion that the first set was the best. So episode four, five, and six, only just one of you, or just a few of you, anybody else? Anybody else can attest to that? Now, and I know you younger generation people, you're like, oh, no, 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 I like young Anakin. And I, you know, I like, I like, you know, uh, Jar Jar Binks. I'm like, yeah, all right, anyways. But we won't debate that today. But we love those stories. And then we love the stories of the Avengers and all of the Marvel Universe. DC, not so much. Then we love stories like Harry Potter and then Divergent with Trish and Hunger Games with Katniss and Lord of the Rings with Frodo and then uh, The Hobbit with Bilbo. We love those stories, but all of these stories that we really do love within our culture, they're fictional. They're not real, but, but here's, what, here's what they do. They actually speak to the heart. That's why we love them so much. We love the storylines. We love the heroes. But what we see here and what Matthew is telling us is that the hero of all heroes, he's not fictional, he's real. The greatest storyline ever, ever is actually real. All of the storylines that, um, that, 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 that we love, they're actually built upon this storyline of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, everything is good and like, woo. But then there's the fall, something bad happens. You're like, no. And then it's like redemption, a hero comes to save the day. We're like, yes. And then there's this restoration that happily ever after. That is the storyline of scripture. And the climax of that storyline, Matthew records in the coming of Jesus. He is the dawn of new creation. Do you know what history actually is? History is God working out his story. 
That's what history is. And so what we need to do, hey church, this is what we need to do. We need, we need to slow down this season and we might need to remind ourselves of our new beginning. Because what, what Christmas time marks is the season of new beginnings. Why? Because it's the, it's the time that marks when God became a man to bring about the dawn of new creation. And maybe some of you in here, you are in desperate need of a new beginning. Maybe you're engaging with us online and you are in desperate need of a new beginning. The Bible that depicts Jesus who came as the God man, he is your new beginning. He is your new beginning. He is our new beginning. So we need to slow down this season to remind ourselves of the new beginning that Christmas time marks. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is that Jesus came to fulfill God's promises. Jesus came to fulfill God's promises. So we read that not only is this the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, but Jesus the Messiah is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now this is very interesting because if you've been with me since I have been here, we have preached on both Abraham and David. And for both men, God came to them and gave them a promise. So to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, God makes this promise that through you, Abraham and your descendants, I will bring blessing to all families of the earth. So every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, I will bless through you, Abraham. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, Genesis 15, 17, and 22 actually tell, tells us how. Uh, we read, your offspring will possess the gate, the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, singular, because you obeyed my command. So what God is promising Abraham, now this is, this is how I'm going to fulfill this promise, Abraham. There's going to be an offspring, a singular offspring that comes and defeats the enemies of you and will be the one that brings worldwide blessing to the nations. Well, so when Matthew is saying the son of Abraham, he is reaching back to the promise that God made to Abraham and saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham and the promise that God made to him. But then David, so David, he gets to Jerusalem. He has now this rest from all of the nations surrounding him. And he starts to look out and he sees the tabernacle, which was the mobile tent where God's presence dwelt. And then David begins to look out at his palace and he's like, oh my Atlanta, here I am, man, I got a sweet crib right here and I got all of the amenities that I could ever want. And here God is, who gave me all of this here he is in a mobile uh, you know mobile home and so I need to build him a permanent dwelling place and so therefore he tells the Lord I want to build you a temple well the Lord tells David uh, you're not going to be the one to build me that builds me a temple your son will build a temple for me but here's what I'm going to do David and here's what God promises David I will raise up after you a, a descendant a your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. So once again, when Matthew says the son of David, he's reaching back to the promise that, that God made to David and saying, hey, Jesus the Messiah, he is the fulfillment of that promise that God made to David. I want us to realize that God is not only a a promise maker, but he is a promise what? Keeper. He keeps his promises. Not 99% of them, 100% of the promises God makes, he keeps. And what Matthew is wanting to do is to show us and to show the Jews how God is fulfilling his promises. Uh, listen to chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Chapter 2, verse 15. He stayed there until Herod's death so that was what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be 
fulfilled. In chapter two, verse 23, then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So Matthew wants us to know if God has declared it, if God has promised it, he will see it through. And so Christmas time marks the season where God's promises are celebrated because we know whatever he has promised, he will deliver. That's why I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So I don't know where, where you are today, don't know where you are today engaging us online, but I promise you this, that in this Christmas season, you will need to slow down and remind yourself of some of God's promises. Well, what's some of the promises that we need to remind ourselves of, Joshua? I'm glad that you asked. Some of you, you need to be reminded that God loves you and he is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. You need to be reminded that God will never leave you nor forsake you. You might need to be reminded that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You might need to be reminded because you've lost a loved one who has gone on to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with whom? The Lord. You might need to be reminded that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So you need to look in the mirror and go, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You might need to be reminded that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of completion. That you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength to cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You might need to be reminded that weeping only lasts for the night, but joy, joy's coming in the morning. You might need to be reminded that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, that Jesus gives all who are weary and heavy laden. Guess what he gives them? He gives them rest. You might need to be reminded that God works in all things for the good of those who love him, that there is no good thing that God withholds from those whom he loves, that those who wait upon the Lord, they shall find renewed strength. You might need to be reminded that God's word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You might need to be reminded that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we all need to be reminded that if the Son has set us free, oh my Lord, we are free indeed. So I don't know what promises that you need to claim this season, but I know this, that Christmas time marks the time when God, he has fulfilled these promises that he made long ago. He is a promise maker as well as a promise what? Keeper. The third reason we should slow down this season so that we don't mess up its reason is that Jesus came to identify with all people. Everybody say all. He came to identify with all people. That's where we're going to get into the genealogy here. Genealogies in this day read like resumes. Let me ask you this. How many of you, you've put in your resume at some part in time in your life? You've put in a resume at a job. All right, did you, did you air your dirty laundry in your resume? Absolutely, you did not. You put your best foot forward. You wanted to tell people, this company, I'm a great candidate. Like when I put in my resume at Slingshot, I wanted to put my best foot forward. I didn't lie on my resume, but I just told all the good things about, about my leadership and what the Lord has done. I, I reserved the bad for the in-depth conversations that we would have. I remember there was one conversation, I'm gonna tell on my wife here, it's pretty funny. Well, we're having this, we're, we're having this time of, of interviewing with the, the search team and they asked, and some of you might know this, but they asked Joni, what Bible character does your husband remind you of? And so she paused there for a second and she's like, well, doesn't the Bible say something about a talking donkey? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I'm like, no, she didn't. No, she didn't. But you want, you want to put your best foot forward in the resume and in the interview process. Well, Jesus doesn't do that with the genealogy. In fact, the genealogy of Jesus reads like a who who's is a reads like a who's who among sinners, outcasts, and outsiders. In fact, it's like the FBI's most sinful and shameful list right here. Think about it, Judah. Judah slept with Tamar. You're like, well, that's not bad. Well, Tamar was his daughter-in-law. 
I know you guys from Mississippi, you're not, you know, that doesn't stun you. <laughs> just joking, just joking. Lighten up a little bit. I'm from Tennessee. Undoubtedly, we marry our cousins. So that's why I had to go outside the state and marry somebody from Florida. <laughs> so Rahab was a prostitute and a Gentile. Ruth was a Moabite, another Gentile. Bathsheba's not even named. She's just referred to as the woman with whom David committed adultery or David, David's wife. Now, it's more of a slam on David than it was Bathsheba. David was an adulterer and a murderer. And then we read in Manasseh. Manasseh was an evil king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I could go on and on as we looked at, if we looked at all of these names. But what's the point of outlining such a genealogy? Well, here's, here's the point. It's to show that Jesus identifies with sinners. He also identifies with the insignificant. I mean, we live in a culture that we celebrate the celebrities, thus celebrities. And so we live in a culture now because we celebrate the celebrities where we're trying to go viral on TikTok or have something that, that people like. We want to be noticed, but I want you to know that Jesus, he identifies with the insignificant. You, 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 might, not, you might even only have a handful of people that know, that know your name in this room, but I want you to know that Jesus knows your name. Amen. Maybe you've never been recognized for the good work that you do. But I want you to know, Jesus recognized you. He sees you. This genealogy also shows us that Jesus identifies with the outsiders, those who weren't Jewish. This is amazing. Because again, Matthew is writing predominantly to Jews and he's throwing Gentiles in here. Hello, Jesus identified. So if you're not Jewish, guess what you are? You are a Gentile. Congratulations, Jesus identifies with you. So therefore, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, if you've broken the law, if you're in prison, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself, it doesn't matter if you think that you are a failed spouse, a failed parent, a flawed human being, it doesn't matter the mistakes that you made, what other people say about you, don't say about you, it doesn't, doesn't matter how little you have or how much you have, it doesn't matter what your title is or even if you have a title, it doesn't matter if you come from a broken family or a whole family, it doesn't matter if you are embarrassed of your past or you're proud of your past, it doesn't matter if you are an addict or an adulterer, a divorcee or one who is depraved. It doesn't matter if you are a homewrecker or a huzzy, a murderer or a misogynist, a narcissist or a nincompoop. It doesn't matter if you are American or Afghani. It doesn't matter if you are Mexican or Moroccan. It doesn't matter if you are Brazilian or Bulgarian. It doesn't matter if you are Canadian or Colombian. Jesus identifies identifies with you. And just on a side note, let me ask you this question. Maybe you think you come from a dysfunctional family. How many of you think you, no, don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. We all, listen, this is a safe place. We all come from a dysfunctional family. We all have a dysfunctional family. You're like, you ain't seen my family. I understand I ain't seen your family. Uh, you ain't seen mine either. So, but here's what I want you to know. Jesus came in the midst of his dysfunctional family. And see, the cool thing about Jesus is that he enters into his dysfunctional family. Not only can he make a dysfunctional family functionable, he can actually turn them into something, an entity that flourishes. So here's what, oh, this is good. Here's what we gotta do. Here's what we gotta do. We gotta slow down this season. Everybody say slow down. We got to slow down this season, reminding ourselves that Jesus, this is the season where Jesus identifies with humanity. And we got to slow down this season to make sure, to make sure that we are identifying with him. So he, he's, he's come to identify with us. Now, if we proclaim his name and he's our Messiah, he's our savior, he's our Lord, he's our King. Let's just make sure that we slow down long enough in this season that we are identifying with him in all of our actions and behaviors that flow from our life. Number four, the fourth reason is Jesus came to throw a cosmic celebration. He came to throw a cosmic celebration. Verse 17, this is what Matthew writes. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 
14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, we're at 11.51 right now, so you've had plenty of coffee. Here, here's what Matthew's doing. So we're going to get into a formula right here. We're getting into some math. All right, so what Matthew has done is he has lined out three different 14 generations. So three different 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and from the exile to the Messiah. So three 14 generations. If you divide them up into seven-year segments, they would total six sevens. The coming of Jesus would mark the beginning of the seventh seven. Everybody say seventh seven. Now you say, why is this important? Now remember, he's writing to whom? Jews. So the number seven plays a significant role in Jewish life. So every seven days, Jews had a Sabbath, a day of rest. Every seven years, they had a sabbatical year where they gave the land rest. Every seven times seven years, so what seven times seven? Well, hang on, let me pull up my phone. I'll tell you, that's what we do these days. I do that, I do that all the time. When, when, uh, yeah, anyways, I'm just not really good at math. But seven times seven, 49 years, they were supposed to have the Jews, they were supposed to have a year of jubilee, a year dedicated to rest, the restoration of property, and the freeing of, of people from their debts and their slavery and their servitude. Listen to what N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says in his book, How God Became King. He writes, all the generations to that point were 14 times three. That is six sevens. With Jesus, we get the seventh seven. He is the jubilee in person. He is the one who will rescue Israel from its long-continued nightmare. Think about that. Jesus is the year of jubilee in flesh. He's come to reset, he's come to renew, he's come to redeem, he's come to restore, and, and one day he will throw a cosmic party because he will have made all things new. That's the reason why he has come, and he is the cosmic celebration. And so when I think about this cosmic party that one day Jesus will throw when we, and we saw this, I mean, months ago in Revelation 21, one day Jesus, he will, he will bring the new city to earth and heaven and earth will collide and there he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow for the former things have passed away and he will have made all things new. And so when I think about, when I think about where we're going and that Christmas marks the, the dawn of of jubilee, the, the, the marking of the seven times seven, the 49 years. I, I, think about, I think about episode six of Star Wars where the Death Star is destroyed, the emperor is defeated, and the universe breaks out in celebration, and the little Ewoks dance. You know, that is amazing. <laughs> and uh, here's what I want us to make sure that we do this season. Will we slow down long enough to make sure we'll be part of that cosmic celebration? And then will we slow down long enough to make sure we have the characteristics already now embedded within our hearts and our lives that demonstrate that we will be part of that cosmic celebration? Well, what's, what are some of those characteristics, Josh? Here, here's, what, here's what we will do if Jesus has become our King and Lord. We will pursue justice and mercy. Why? Because God is a just God. He is a merciful God. We will want others to know about this cosmic party. Like it just baffles my mind how Christians, people who claim the blood of Jesus, can rail against people who are far from Jesus because of their behavior. I don't expect people far from Jesus to act like Jesus. That's why we should want them. We, we should want them to know about Jesus so that they can be part of that cosmic celebration. 
will be calm even in the midst of chaos. So this past week, we celebrated Thanksgiving and we had family in town, my dad and my brother and his family, they were all in town and Joni's in there, she's just a cooking away for Thanksgiving. And then somebody said in our, in our family room, there's this big wet spot and we, we had dogs also because Joni's mom was also in town and she had brought her two dogs. And so uh, between Mater and those two other dogs were like, did one of them pee? And then Joni, Joni went out, there, you know, she went into the family room, took a towel and she started to, to, to kind of dry up the area. And then that towel got soaking wet and she went in and got another one. She's like, there's no way the dogs could have peed this much. Come to find out we had a leak on Thanksgiving day and we had to shut the water off. But, but we were all calm. Like, what are you going to do? I mean, because here's the thing. When Jesus has transformed our life, even in chaos, there can be calm. You'll have peace that surpasses all understanding. So when something happens in your life that would, would bring restlessness to somebody else, you have the peace of Christ and you can't explain it. You'll have rest. And that rest means that you, you won't feel like you have to do enough good in order to earn God's favor, that you won't have to get into this never-ending wheel of religion where you constantly have to do in order to hopefully satisfy God. No, you will be able to rest in the finished work of Jesus. You'll experience his forgiveness and you'll want to extend his forgiveness. And then you'll experience the abundant life because Jesus came to bring us life and life abundantly. Those are the characteristics embedded in us right now that, 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 that tell us, that get us ready for this cosmic celebration when all of those will be in full bloom. And so the last reason we need to slow down this season so that we don't mess up its reason is that Jesus came to save sinners from their sin. And we see this in verses 18 through 24. And Matthew, he is going to focus on Joseph's perspective. I think most of us know the story of Jesus's earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. They were engaged or betrothed. And uh, when they were engaged and betrothed, they, they didn't have sexual intercourse. There, there was nothing like that. Typically what the man would do is he would go off to his home and he would spend a year building on to his father's house. And then he would go back and they would have this week-long marriage ceremony and then they would consummate the marriage. And so Joseph and Mary, they are in the engagement period. And so he finds out that Mary is pregnant. He's like, I ain't touch her. So somebody else must have done this. And so, but being a righteous man and a good man and a godly man, he wants to he wants to divorce and put away Mary secretly because in that day they could have stoned a woman for committing adultery. So that's why he wants to do it secretly. But then an angel visits him one night and here's what the angel says. Joseph, in verses 20 and 21, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because everybody say that. He will save his people from their sins. The Old Testament equivalent to Jesus is Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord is salvation. Why on earth would the Messiah, the Christ, the deliverer need to come and save sinners? Well, if you were here last week, we saw why. God had created this beautiful world. It was good. It was flourishing. He created mankind in his image. He puts them in the garden, the beautiful garden, gave them all of these trees that they could enjoy, told them not to eat from this one tree. Well, Eve first, then Adam, they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. Then their eyes were opened. They realized they were butt naked. They realized that they were in shame. They had committed sin and they were separated from God. But what is so cool is that if you read the genealogy in the gospel of Luke, Luke's going to reach back to Adam. How 
how Jesus has come from Adam. Jesus is the better Adam. He's the God-man. And because he's the God-man, he is perfect. He is now able to die for the sin of the world. That's the reason why it had to be God becoming man to die for our sin. And so because Jesus was the God-man, he was Emmanuel, God with us, he could be the bridge between God, a holy, just, righteous God, God and sinful, depraved mankind. And what I want us to make sure that we do this season is to feel the weight of our sin. I, I believe one of, the, one of the concerns that I have for the church in the 21st century is that we don't want to feel the weight of our sin. Our sin cost God his life. It's one of the reasons why I actually tried to delay a very, very young child from getting baptized because I want them to be able to be at a point in time in their life where they can feel the weight of their sin, not they just want to go take a bath. You do realize that Jesus did not come to earth for a luxury vacation. He came for a rescue operation. We needed rescuing. And Christmas time marks the time when God became man so that he could rescue man from their sin. So will we slow down long enough to contemplate what it really meant and means that God became man and he dwelt among us so not only we could behold his glory, but so that we could live in light of his glory. So as I wrap up, I want to offer, so those are the five reasons. Right here in Matthew chapter one, we need to slow down this season so that we don't mess up its reason. So as I wrap up, I want to offer five practical steps we can take this Christmas season that will help us slow down and not mess up its reason. So here's five, like you want to know how do you put this in practice? Here's the truth. How do you apply this truth? Here it is. Number one. Because Jesus is the dawn of new creation, here's what I want us to do. Ask the Lord, what areas of my life do I need him to do a new work? What areas, Jesus, do you need to do a work in me? Maybe you need a new work in your marriage. And I'm not saying get rid of your old one and go get a new one. Because if you get rid of the old one and you haven't changed and you go into a new one, you're still just as jacked up in that marriage as you was in the old one. Ooh, man, that hurt. That's dumb. But maybe you need a new marriage and you need Jesus to do that work only because here's what he's doing. He's taking the old me and transforming, transforming the old me into the new me because of who he is. So that's what you need to do. And maybe you need a new work in your marriage. Maybe you need a new attitude. You need an attitude adjustment. Don't elbow anybody right now. You know, incognito. But, but some of you, you need a new attitude. You need an attitude adjustment. Maybe you need God to do a new work in your purity. You're doing things that you shouldn't do. You're looking at things you shouldn't look at. Maybe you need a, God to do a new work in the way you view others. How you take care of your body. Becoming a better friend. Having a, a renewed passion and purpose for your work. Maybe just an awakening to Christ and just being on fire once again. Church, that's what we're praying for Northland. That we would, we would have this awakening. There would be this revival that would break out among Northland Church. That it just wouldn't stay within us. But that it would go out into Seminole County and Orange County and Volusia County and Florida. And the, and the United States of America. To the, like, I'm, God's not done with Northland. Second. Because Jesus is the yes to God's promises, maybe you need to slow down to count your blessings by recounting God's faithfulness. Maybe you just need to just get alone with the Lord one morning. And just, Lord, will you speak to me? And I just want to write down just the blessings. Like, count my blessings. Because as I count my blessings, I'm recounting your faithfulness. Third, because Jesus identifies with all humanity. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to serve somewhere or someone you normally don't serve. I'm going to give you an easy one for this. So we have our Christmas Eve gatherings coming up the 23rd and 24th. We'll have four of them. We'll welcome somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000, at least 3,000, 4,000 people on those two days. That means we're going to need more greeters and ushers. 
We're also even going to be offering children's ministry this year. You say, why? Because there, there will be some guests that come here. They've never been here. They've never brought their eight-year-old child. And while I, I feel like there's times where I might can hold an eight-year-old's attention, I believe that they're going to get more in their environment than they would out here. And I want them to experience our children's ministry and what happens year-round. Why? So that when they leave, they tell mommy and daddy, I want to go back to Northland because we live in a child-centered culture and typically what the child wants, the parents give them. And so if they want to come back to church, we want to give them that experience. You say, well, I want my child to be here with me. You got four options. So bring them to one. But we need other people serving in our children's ministry to accommodate the amount of children. Three times the amount of children we would typically have in a given week. So that's where you can serve. Fourth, because Jesus throws the cosmic party, find a way to bring joy to someone else outside your normal routine. So find a way to bring joy to someone else outside your normal routine. If you've never met your, met your neighbor, this will be a good opportunity to take them something. Maybe a cooked meal, a dessert. You're like, well, I can't cook. Find someone who can, get them to cook for you, and then you can take that over to them. Uh, maybe a coworker, maybe a mail carrier, because you ought to be on first name basis with that Amazon carrier. <laughs> I know we should. Every day it's like something from Amazon. But can you, can you take them out a gift card and say, just thank you for what you do and just bring joy to their life. A Christmas house uh, and getting, uh, getting gifts and presents for the Christmas house. Joni and I, we gave each of our kids $100 and we said, we want you to go out and we want you to buy what you would buy for yourself, but we're giving it away so that we can bring joy to someone else outside our normal routine. Giving Tuesday, giving to Life Hope Child Care. That's not in our normal routine, but can you bring joy to another single mom so, but as we expand that we can allow them to come here. Like there's so many different ways that we can find a way to bring joy to someone that's not in our normal routine. And then the last one, this is the easy one. Because Jesus brings salvation to sinners, invite someone to one of our four Christmas Eve gatherings. Here's what I want to happen because we'll not only have physical invite cards, but we will put something on social media inviting people to our Christmas Eve gatherings. I want to see more shares that Northland has ever had before coming from us this year, inviting friends and family members and coworkers and friends you haven't even seen in 20 years to our Christmas Eve gatherings. That's just an easy way to invite someone on Christmas Eve in our gatherings that will hear the good news of Jesus and we'll pray that God will transform their life. Let us slow down this season so that we don't mess up its what? Reason. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible season we are entering into. It really is the most wonderful time of the year because it is the time where we can slow down and we can attune our hearts, our minds, and our lives around the glory and the centrality of Jesus, our King. And so I pray that that would happen this season for every single one of us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a time of observing communion, also known as the Lord's Supper of the, or the Eucharist, all synonyms. And what a great way to kick off a Advent season than to observe communion where we're looking back to what Christ has done and we're looking forward to what he will do. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just gonna pause for a few moments. I'm gonna let you just kind of clean house in your heart right now. Just if you have any unconfessed sin, if you just need to reattune your heart to, to Jesus, uh, if you need to ask him to help you to slow down this season, if you just wanna to begin to thank him for who he is and what he has done, I'm just gonna let you to kind of clean house and attune your heart and your mind uh, to uh, what we're about to do in partaking of the Lord's Supper. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you did not receive the elements when you walked in, you can just slip up your hand and we'll have an usher or greeter that will bring you the elements.
still with your just head bowed in a, in a time of reflection and prayer, I want you to listen to the words found in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is sitting with his disciples in the upper room. Listen to these words. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So what he's about to do, he's not going to do again until he will come again one day and will fully complete the restoration project and institute this cosmic jubilation. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said... Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Once again, pointing to what's coming. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Church, you can look at me. Um, this is the cool thing about communion is not only do we look back to what Jesus has done how his body was bruised how his body was beaten how his blood was shed in order for our body to be healed in order for our life to be covered but it is also a moment where we look forward in great anticipation to what Jesus will one day do that the Bible teaches he will come back and he will bring heaven to earth. Earth and heaven will collide in the form of a city and he will wipe away every tear from our eye and we will live forever with him and eternity with him in that new city. And so right now we are sandwiched in between the times which is why I love communion because it allows us this moment that we have set aside once a month to just attune our hearts and our minds to making sure that Jesus is the center of our lives. Like when we take of this cup, there's nothing magical about this cup. There's nothing magical about these elements. It is the symbolism and this memorial and it's a reminder of what Jesus has done so that he can be prominent, so that he can be preeminent, so that he can be the center of our lives. So with that said, will you tear that first film off and, and get the wafer? So as Jesus sat with his disciples, he broke the bread and he passed it around and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then you can tear the next film off. So after he had passed the bread out, he now takes the cup and he passes it around and he says... This is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember. And we are reminded that in order to glorify you, we need to be filled with the spirit of God you gave us. That we might reflect your glory in all spheres of life. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said... Will you stand with us as we sing this last song?